church a lot, and it's the four challenges of Jesus. That Jesus says, come follow me, and then he says, uh, he says, come and see, follow me, be a fisher of men, I'll make you a fisher of men. And then he says, go and make disciples. And so those are the four challenges of Christ. Well, we start off with the whole idea of come and see from a guy named Andrew. The Bible says that Andrew was just following Jesus around and Jesus turns around and he sees Andrew following him. He's like, what do you want? Like, creepy, why are you following me? And Andrew says, we want to see where you live. In other words, we want to know what your life is like. We've heard a lot of stuff about you, but we want to see what it's really like. And so Jesus says to Andrew, come and see. And the Bible says that they spent hours together hanging out and Andrew got to see who Jesus really was. So we pick it up in John 1, 40, and here's what Andrew's next step was. After, after seeing Jesus, his next step was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, looking intently at Simon. Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So we got the story of a guy going and getting his brother and introducing him to Jesus. There's another another person we're going to talk about today in John chapter 4. It's the woman at the well. The next two people, we use them quite often. They're pretty prominent um, stories in the Bible. And and so this one, uh, the woman at the well, the Bible says that Jesus goes to get a drink of water from a well while his disciples, disciples go down to get some food, right? So they're going to Chick-fil-A. Jesus is chilling at the well. He's going to get something to drink. So while he's there, this woman comes up, and the woman has a problem. The problem is she likes to go around with a lot of other guys, right? Like So, so Jesus is talking to her about life, and as he's talking to her about life, uh, he says, hey, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the dude you're with right now isn't even your husband. In other words, you go through men like I go through dirty underwear, right? That's the kind of woman that she is. She is not the, the high character woman that, that, you know, we expect to be hanging out with Jesus. And so Jesus is talking to her, and as he begins to talk to her and tell her everything about her life, all of a sudden, um, she begins to believe And he reveals something to her in verse 26 that he hasn't said to anybody else up until this point. He told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples showed up and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask. I like the fact that they don't have the nerve to ask Jesus something because they know. Um, And what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village. If you're highlighting anything in your Bible today, highlight that. She ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming in from the village to see him. The last one is the guy that we've talked about quite a few times, and, and we don't have a name for this man, but the Bible says he was possessed, and he wasn't just possessed by one demon, he was possessed by a legion of demons. So the guy is full of demons, right? And so he shows up with Jesus, and Jesus casts the demons out, and whenever he casts the demons out, they all go into a herd of pigs, the pigs run down the hill, fall into the water, and all die. And, and so the guy, the Bible says ends up sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. So he got his mind right, and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning and gleaning and, and, and consuming everything Jesus had to say. So this is where we pick up the story. In verse 18 of Mark 8, as Jesus was getting into the boat, so Jesus was having to leave. 
all the farmers got mad that he killed all the pigs. Literally, like, this has nothing to do with the message today, but I just find it interesting that whenever Jesus cast out a legion of demons, the only thing people could notice was all the dead pigs. And they told Jesus, you need to leave because you killed all our pigs. Not, you just set this guy free from a whole bunch of demons. No, we don't want you around because you might kill the rest of our pigs. So stupid. So as Jesus was getting to the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. So today we want to tell the world. We want to tell the world what God's done for us. We want to spread the gospel. Look, whenever we talk about the four challenges of Jesus, it's not just something cute that we say. This is something that we build our church around. This is something that we build our lives around. Because the the fact is, there's some people come into church, there's some people come to Jesus, and they're not ready to follow him. They just need to come and see. I want to see what's going on. But the next step is to follow him, to be, as Jesus says, be born again. And you learn how to live the life of Christ. And so, so you've got this progression of relationship. It's like whenever you're dating your spouse, the, before, you, before you got married, you just wanted to check them out. Like you're just looking at them from a distance. For me and Perry, you know, uh, I knew her from church when we were younger. We had been at church together and I'd moved off and come back and, and, and I, I wasn't really around her all the time. And so I had to learn that idea of come and see. And I remember the first time that I sat by Perry to do anything, to have a real conversation. We were at her little brother's basketball game and I didn't care anything about watching high school basketball. But I went to the game because I knew Perry would be there. And whenever I got to the game, I noticed nobody was sitting by her. And I just planted myself right next to her. Why? Because I wanted to come and see. I just wanted to observe. I wanted to be around her to see what was going on. But then the next step is follow me. And Jesus says, hey, if you want to progress in this relationship, you've got to follow me. There's something else that we've got to do. You've got to go deeper in this relationship. And for me and Perry, that was when we started dating. And in our form of dating, this was before um, social media um, and before cell phones. I mean, the cell phones had been invented. I'm not that old, but we didn't have them. You know, that was back whenever, uh, whenever only, only certain people had cell phones, right? And I didn't have one. I wasn't certain. Um, I wasn't special. I wasn't anything, right? So I didn't get a cell phone. And so, um, and so we dated for a long time through email. We would email each other. I know some of you guys are like, why in the world would you email? I don't even email now, right? And so we would email each other because we didn't have text. And that was that idea of just come and follow me. And then the next part that we say about Jesus is, I will make you fishers of men. Now, whenever you make someone a fisher of men, what Jesus is talking about is I want to take what's in you and use it. For my kingdom. I want to take what's in you and use it for, for reaching the loss, for serving people, for serving me. Whenever I got married to Perry, I learned that I had to serve. I had to take what gifts God had given me and I served her and I loved her and I, I took care of her. And that was my job. That was what I wanted to do. But then there's this last step that sometimes we skip, this last place in the progression of, of our relationship with Christ. And it really makes everything come back full circle. And the last thing that Jesus told his disciples was, go and make disciples. He says, you've got to go tell the whole world what's happened to you. You've got to tell the whole world about what I've done. And not only that, not only tell them, but make disciples. In other words, you've got to get people 
back on this same relationship that we're on. I, I was reading a, a thing one time about Billy Graham, and one of the things they were talking about was that at these Billy Graham crusades where thousands and thousands and thousands of people come down to an altar and they pray a prayer and they accept Christ as Lord, they say only 3% of them are still in church after a year. Why? Because they made converts, but they didn't make disciples. And so our calling today is not just to tell someone that Jesus loves them. Our calling today, every one of our callings, is to make disciples. And so that's what we're going to get into. How do I do that? How do I do that? Because this is scary. For some of you, you're, you're immediately thinking uh, about, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not dogging these guys out, but there's a group of people that, that stand on the street corner, downtown Trustful, and they get a megaphone and they yell out, you know, you know if, if you're a sinner, you're going to hell, and, and you need to get right, and they, they yell stuff out. And some of you, right off the bat, when I said you got to tell the world about Christ, right off the bat, you're thinking, i got to be one of those guys? No thanks. When I was a kid, um, I was a teenager, and I remember my, my pastor, or my youth pastor, telling us that we need to, to tell all of our friends at school about Christ. I remember hearing stories about this one kid that had gotten up on his school lunch table and began to proclaim the gospel, and I was just like, there is no way I'm standing on the school lunch table. I'm not doing it. And I remember anytime someone said, you got to reach the world, uh, someone would inevitably say, yes, we got to go to Africa. And I was like, I don't want to go to Africa. I barely want to go to Georgia, much less Africa. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, so there was, there was always this intimidation and this fear that would come over me when it came to telling people about Christ. And so today I want to take some of that intimidation and fear out. I'm going to give you four steps, four steps for telling the world about your relationship with God and about how to how they can follow Christ as well. The first thing, the first step is this. You, you have to encounter Jesus for yourself. You have to have an encounter with Jesus. You can't tell other people about a relationship that you don't have. It doesn't work that way. Nobody wants to hear it. But you have to have an encounter with Christ. For yourself. When we read the stories that I just read, it says Andrew followed Jesus and hung out with him for a few hours before he went and got Peter. It says that Jesus revealed he was the Messiah to the woman and read her mail. It says that the demoniac was set free by Jesus, had his mind put right, and he sat at the feet of Jesus. Every one of these men and women had some kind of encounter with Jesus Christ that absolutely changed their lives. For some of us, we've grown up in church, and, and you've, you've been in church your whole life, and you don't feel like you've ever had an encounter with Christ, because you just kind of got it by osmosis. I'm going to tell you something. There is no osmosis with Jesus. You either encounter him or you don't. And we need to get to a place where we have had an encounter and are currently having encounters with Jesus on a regular basis. We've got to have an encounter. We've got to have a relationship. And it's not about being special. It's not about being somebody important. Sometimes people say, yeah, but Gabriel, it's easy for you because you're the pastor. You can, you get up and talk and it's your job, right? It's not my job to be a Christian. I'm a Christian. My job is to, to run a church organization, but that's not my, my job is not to be a Christian. My calling is to reach the lost, but that's your calling too. You don't have to be special. Look at the people in the story. A fisherman, a promiscuous woman, and a demoniac. These are the people Jesus chose. Are any of you fishermen in the room today? Who's a fisherman? Any fishermen in here? 
Nope. Couple of fishermen, see? Right there, a fisherwoman, right? Fisherman, fisherwoman. Y'all could be called by God to spread the gospel. Any promiscuous women in here today? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just figured we're going to call out things. I'd go with that one. Um... Let's look, at, let's look at John chapter, chapter 4 one more time, and let's skip down. I just want to show you about the encounter and what happens. In John chapter 4, verses 39 through 42, this is the rest of the story. The Bible says that many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see Him, so she had an encounter. She goes to the people of the town, begins to tell them about her encounter with Christ, and they started believing. They're like, hey, that, that sounds like wild. Like, let's go see what's going on. They came out to see him. They begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, this is huge, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know he is indeed the Savior of the world. It was good for them to hear about Jesus, but they wanted an encounter all their own. Sometimes what we've done in the American church is we feel like it's good enough to just sit in the seats or sit on the couch and watch the message, hear the message, but we never have a real encounter with Jesus. We come in and we greet our friends and we sing the cute little songs and we pray the prayers and we hope the pastor gets us out in time that we can go eat, eat lunch before the Baptist church. That's our goal every Sunday. But where is the encounter with Christ? Where is the life change? Where is the moment that stands out? Where is that point in life where we say, you know what? Something's got to change in me. There's something wrong in me. Or there's something i got to do. There's a calling for me. There's a destiny and a purpose for me. And I experienced that today. I experienced it in church. I experienced it at home. I experienced it in the car ride. We've got to have an encounter with Christ. We've got to pursue it and look out for it. The second thing that you've got to do if you want to reach the world, if you want to tell the world, is this. You've got to engage people. You can't tell the world something if there's no one to tell. Andrew, what did he do? Andrew didn't follow Jesus and then just hope that one day Peter would show up too. The Bible says he went to find Peter. In other words, he didn't even know where Peter was. He was his brother. He was his partner in business. He was his best friend. But he went to go find Peter. Peter, and grabbed him and said, you got to come with me. The Bible says that the woman left her jar of water. The one thing she came to the well to do was to get water. She brings her own jar, fills it up, and then leaves it there because she got so pumped up by her encounter with Christ that she left everything she had and went back to the village. The Bible says she ran back to the village to tell everybody. The free man, the demoniac, the Bible says, went to ten towns. Jesus said, go home. He did. And then he went to ten towns looking for people to tell. What am I saying? I'm saying that we've got to learn how to engage other human beings. Because of COVID, it's not that COVID, it's not that COVID has made us this way, but the idea of isolation has given us an excuse to disconnect from other people. 
Think about this for a second. We didn't used to do drive up to Best Buy and get my whatever it is we were buying. Right? We didn't used to do that. What did we do? We walked into, now this has really been good for, for women, because I know husbands like me, when I go to Best Buy, I look at all the big TVs. And eventually I'm going to want to buy one, right? So it's been good that I can't go in. But what have we done? We've gotten away from going inside places. We don't pay inside the gas station anymore. We pay at the pump. We don't go into Walmart anymore. We do pickup or delivery, right? We don't go to church anymore. We watch it on TV. Now, I know there's reasons. I get it. I know some of you guys have reasons, and they're good reasons, and, 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 and I understand all that. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is, because of all this, it's given the world an excuse to disconnect from everybody we know. And it's become normal to us. I watched a commercial just the other day. And in the commercial, it was a parent, set of parents and their little kids. And the little kids want to give something to their grandparents. And they take a bag. I think it was a Target commercial. And they set the bag down in front of the doorbell, ring the doorbell, and then run back to the car. And the grandparents come out and pick up the bag, and they're just so happy. That's not real life, man. That's not real life. I'm not a grandparent, but I know this. I know my parents would be mad at me if I didn't let my kids see them. Why? <laughs> you bet. That's right. Every time we go to see my parents, my, it's, it's always a fight, not for my kids to see them, but for my kids to actually come home with me. Right? So what, I, what am I saying? What I'm saying is this. I'm saying we've, the world has put us in a place where isolation has become normal. And Jesus never said for us to be isolated from the world. Because I have this feeling that what's going to happen is everyone's going to get vaccinated and COVID's going to go away. But even when that happens, we're going to still find ourselves in a place of isolation. Because it's become our norm. It's become our norm. We wear a mask right now to keep us from getting COVID. But there's going to come a day when we wear a mask because we don't want people to recognize us in the store. <laughs> the other day, Jonathan, <laughs> Jonathan and I went to Lowe's to buy something for his dad, something we were doing. And so we're walking in Lowe's and we're, in, we're not even here. We're in Opelika. And so we're walking through Lowe's. And of course, we go in, we forgot our mask. So we're like digging around his dad's car to find a mask. So we find these masks. And uh, I'm pretty sure mine was used. And so, so we find these masks, and we walk, we walk into Lowe's, and Jonathan goes, you know what, I came in here the other day, and he said, I, was, I put my mask on, I put my hood on, I put my sunglasses on, thinking nobody's going to, he's like the Unabomber, right? He's like, I just needed to get in and get out. I didn't need to have a conversation with somebody. I was in a hurry. I was frustrated because I'm doing this project. And he said, I walk in, and right off the bat, someone's like, hey, Jonathan, and I had a whole conversation. So, so even then, Jonathan couldn't get away. He tried, but he couldn't get away. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus. It says, Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Notice it doesn't say the Son of Man came to wait for people to come to Him. It says seek and save. Now maybe you're old and you haven't played hide and go seek in a long time. But last time I checked, when I play hide and go seek, I have to move and go find people. Jesus came to go find people right where they are. 
And then he called us to do the same thing. In Luke chapter 14, verse 23, he's telling the story of the wedding feast. And here's what he says. And the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. He's not saying go suggest it to somebody. He's saying go grab them and drag them in. Like we've got to get people We've got to learn how to engage. Mark 16, 15 says this. He told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everybody. And let me say this. When we hear the word, go into all the world, that can be intimidating. Let me me get it a little bit easier to chew on today. Go into all your world. Not everybody has to go to Africa. Not everybody has to go to Europe or Asia. Not everybody has to go, uh, you know, to Mississippi, right? Mississippi, third world country. Not everybody has to go there. Here's what we do have to do. We have to go to our world. Who did Andrew reach? Andrew reached his brother, his business partner. Later on, Peter preaches a message and 3,000 people get saved. You know who gets a, a, a part of that? Andrew does. Why? Because Andrew reached one dude that he was already close to. Who does God want you to reach? God wants you to reach the people that are already around you, the people you already have relationships with. What did the woman do? She engaged her village. People that knew her past. Like, she didn't go up to strangers. She went to people. One version of the Bible, one translation says she went to the men of the city. Not everyone. It says she went to the men. Why? She's already slept with six of them. Like, she knows a lot of men in the city. And so here's the thing about this woman. She's going to people that know her past. They know how bad she's been. They know her troubles. They know her issues. And she's going to them and she's showing them, telling them what Jesus has done for her. She's engaging with the people in her world, in her circle. And then the man that was full of demons, the Bible says he just went to everybody. He went to 10 cities telling people about Christ. So there's different levels of reaching your world. If I were you, I'd just start somewhere. Start somewhere. Start with the one gas station that you get gas at all the time. Start with the worker that's in there standing behind the plexiglass screen. Start with them. Start with your gym. Start with your your, uh, grocery store. Start with your dentist. Start with your doctor. Start with your, your people at your job. Start with the guy in the cubicle next to you. Just start somewhere. But start. Engage people. The third thing is this. We've got to learn how to share our experience. If you're taking notes this morning, write this down. Your sermon is your story. Your sermon is your story. You don't have to have a degree from a Bible college to preach a sermon. All you got to have is a story. As long as you've had an encounter with Christ and you've got someone to engage, you've got a sermon to preach. The Bible says to Andrew, all he said to Peter was, we found the Messiah. The woman, all she said to the men was, come and see the man that told me everything. And then the freed man, from, the man that was freed from demons, all he did was go tell people what Jesus had done for him, and they were amazed at his story. In Revelation 12, 11, it says that we overcome by what? By the word of our testimony. God doesn't need you to preach a three-point sermon and have all the key words start with the letter E and, and end it with a nice little bow and have a funny video at the beginning. God doesn't need you to do that. God just needs you to tell your story. What has he done for you? What was the encounter you had with Jesus? Because that's all people really want to know. That's all people really want to know. They want to know what your experience is. 
The last one is this. We need to encourage relationship. The word encourage in the Webster's Dictionary means this. To give support, confidence, or hope. To give advice to someone so that they will continue to do something. The other one is to help or stimulate an activity, state, or view to develop. In in other words, when we encourage someone's relationship, what we're doing is we're helping to stimulate that relationship. I don't know if you've ever done this, but Perry claims... Perry claims to have been, had a hand in all of her spouses getting married. Perry says she's the one that set them all up. That's what she says. Siblings. Maybe Perry was that woman. She's out of town today, so I can say what I want. Ah, she might be watching. I love you, babe. You're wonderful. You haven't been married five times. So Perry claims that she's had a hand hand in all of her siblings getting married. She says that she introduced her older brother to to his wife. She says that she introduced uh, Jesse to Wendy. Some of y'all know them. And she says that she introduced Jonathan to Anna. And um, and, and listen, some of you are like that. Some of you are like that. You're nosy when it comes to other people's relationships. (laughs) Right? Who's who's that nosy person? You don't want to raise your hand. Who knows somebody that's nosy like that? Who knows that person? And point at them real quick. Yeah, okay. Here's what happens. Here's what happens is we start getting into other people's relationships and we start pushing them together and we invite them over and we got this friend that needs a date and we got this friend that needs a date. So we invite them both to our house, right? We take them out to dinner and when we take them out to dinner, we sit down at the table and all we do is say, hey, why don't you tell me this story about your life and you tell me this story about your life and wouldn't you guys make a good match and hey, why don't y'all kiss and I don't know whatever it is you do. I don't do it, so I don't know. But we, we meddle in people's relationships. But when it comes to their relationship with Christ, which is the most important relationship they have because that determines heaven or hell, that determines afterlife. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, we leave people alone. We don't encourage people to do anything better. We see them doing wrong and we just let them do it wrong. Wow, they'll figure it out one day. God will talk to them. Obviously not. They're still doing it wrong. We've got to learn how to encourage people in a relationship with Christ. The Bible says that Andrew brought Simon Peter to Jesus, and then Simon had an encounter with Christ on his own. Notice it didn't say that Andrew invited him. It didn't say he invited him to see Jesus. He didn't say, hey, we're having this this meeting with with this guy named Jesus. Here's the flyer. If you want to come, that's great. No, no, no. He said, hey, you're coming with me. Like, you're going to come with me, and you're going to meet this guy, and he's going to do something great in your life. I just know he will. And as soon as Simon shows up, Jesus changes his name. He says, no longer will I call you Simon. I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock, by the way. And, and, he, and later on, he would tell Peter, he said, on this rock, I will build my church. Like, like, he had a purpose and a destiny for Peter. But Peter wouldn't have known it had somebody not encouraged that relationship. Hey, you need to meet this man. I'm taking you to meet him. Here he is. The Bible says that the the woman brought the people, but they had their own encounter. The point is this. We've got to encourage people. Earlier I talked about making disciples, not converts. Here's the difference. I I, want to do a little shout out to to Jackie Crandall and Adam Crandall. They're probably watching online right now. They they posted, Jackie posted this conference um, 
in our community page. So if you're on the Facebook community page, if you're not on that, it's because you haven't liked our church on, online. Apparently, that's the formula. So, um, so if you want to be if you want to be on our community page, you like the church. Um, but they posted this link to this conference, and it's an online conference. And in the link, one of the things they talked about is they do, they do an interview. And I, I put down the times. They do an interview with a pastor from Iran. And, and in the interview, you can't see his face or hear his right voice because, because Christians are being murdered in Iran, right? And so there's this whole underground church that's happening. But God is, God is changing lives. Like they, they think right now there's um, up to or over a million believers in Iran in an underground church. It's amazing what God is doing in Iran. So they're talking to this guy, and one of, the things, one of the things this guy says is he says, our problem in America is that we're too concerned. We're too concerned with people filling up pews in a church. We're too concerned with people just saying a prayer and marking it on our list, and we've got stats to prove how many converts we have. But how many of those people are truly serving God? He says, you've got to make disciples. And he says, he says one of the things that they've noticed in Iran is, is there are times whenever persecution happens in, in churches. He, this, this pastor, he says, he says there was this time when we were having this explosion of underground church and people coming to Christ. And he said, but the problem was as soon as persecution started happening, as soon as they started breaking into our churches, as soon as they killed a few pastors, as soon as they arrested a few Christians, he said, all of a sudden I'm seeing empty churches and empty meetings and, and people not showing up. And he asked God, he said, God, in the book of Acts, I see that persecution made the church grow. Why is persecution killing my church? And God told him, he said, converts run from persecution. Disciples will die for it. So the question you've got to ask yourself today, am I a convert or am I a disciple? Am I an American Christian or am I a Christian Christian? And what are we making? I get, we, I know we talk about it a lot, but I get to coach at our gym. And one of the things that bothers me a little bit in coaching is that there are times when people don't do the exercise right. And you go up to them and you try to tell them, hey, you got to get lower. You got to press higher or you got to do whatever. And the goal is that we just don't want them to get hurt. A lot of times people can get hurt if they don't do something right. And I, w- I walked up to a person one time and I said, hey, you got to do this. And they looked at me and they said, I don't care. And I was like, okay, cool. I will let you do it wrong. You know, it's like, I am not going to argue with you. But I got to thinking about it. I thought if someone's doing something wrong and it's dangerous and I don't tell them, I don't help them get better. What kind of coach am I? Am I there just to placate everybody and make everybody feel happy? Or am I there to help them get better? The same applies in Christianity. Is it my job to make you feel good? Or is it my job to make you better? To encourage your relationship? Is it your job to make each other feel good? If you're a small group leader or you're a parent or you're a husband or wife, or you've just got a group of people around you. Listen, it's your job to make disciples, to encourage relationship, to help people grow. When we have babies, we don't just leave them to fend for themselves. We're not animals. I mean, think about that for a second. So a lot of you guys have kids and you got babies. I, I, 
I don't know who it is, but there's a baby in the back right now. I can't see that far and the lights are off. But when that baby was born, the parents didn't just say, wow, this baby was born. That's great. All right, we're going to put that baby right there on that table. We'll come back in 18 years. Hope you, hope you make it, you know. We don't do that, but we do it people spiritually. Hey, you prayed a prayer. You got baptized. That's great. You know what? Have fun. I'll see you later. Instead of encouraging growth and relationship. I wrote this down. I just thought it was neat. Converts will run from a storm, but disciples run into the storm. And that's where we got to live. Let me close today. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? A couple of things I want you to think about this morning. I don't, I don't know what God wants to do in your life. I feel like no matter what's preached, God's got his own agenda. It doesn't matter what I say. God's got his own thing to say to you. And so what I want to encourage you to do this morning is we're going to close our eyes, and it's nothing spiritual or special about it, but we're going to close our eyes because I just want you to get focused for just, just a minute. If you can just get focused and not worry about what's around you, not worry about people moving, not worry about anybody talking. I just want you to get focused for a second. And I just want us to pray this one simple little prayer, and then we're going to just listen. Just this simple little prayer is just going to be this. God, what do you want to say to me today? You can just pray it on your own. Just say, God, what is it that you're trying to say to me today? What is it that you're speaking in my heart today? For some of us, he may be talking to us about our calling, about our purpose, about our destiny. He may be talking to us about reaching our world, about telling our world about Christ. Because for some of us, we've hidden that. We've like the, like the story in the Bible says, it's like having a, a candle and we put a, a basket over the top so no one can see it. We've hidden it. We've been scared of our relationship with God to tell anybody because we don't want to offend anybody or hurt anybody's feelings. But the time for that is gone. And some of you are feeling a calling. You're feeling a tugging, a pulling. Say, I got to tell the world, man. For some of you, it may be realization time. It may be you know what, Gabriel, I've, just, I've lived my life as a convert. I've lived my life as, a, as an American Christian. I go to church. I, I go home. I, I'm, I'm faithful to church, but I'm not necessarily faithful to my relationship with God. I don't really grow or develop or go any deeper. And that's okay. God loves you. He's here for you. He's seeking and, and looking for you today. But he wants to draw you to that deeper place of discipleship. Maybe for some of you it's saying, I just don't think I've ever had an encounter, or maybe I haven't had an encounter with Christ in a very long time. If that's you today, he wants to show up in your life. He wants to show up in your life. Maybe you're not serving him today, and you want to give your life to him. It's not just about him forgiving your sins. That's good, and we'll talk about that next week, actually, that that he died and was beaten so that our sins could be forgiven. That's great. We want that. But Peter said, if you want to get saved, if you want to be born again, you've got to make him Lord and Savior. In other words, you've got to follow him. You've got to live your life for him. He's got to be the king. So maybe that's you this morning. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is today, if you say, Gabriel, God's speaking in my heart about something. There's something going on in my life. I want to pray for you today. I just want you to put your hand up in the air. If God's speaking to you about something, maybe there's, maybe there's something going on in your life. I just want to pray for you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, lots of folks. God, right now, I just pray for everybody in this room. Those of us with our hands raised today, God, we're, we know there's nothing magic about our hand being raised. It's not going to change our life to raise our hands. But it is an acknowledgement of truth. It's being honest with who we are. And 
and who you are. And today we come to you and we say we need an encounter with you. We need an encounter like we've never had before. God, we need something different. We need something, something new. You, you, you talked about last week in, in the book of Isaiah um, during worship, God, we talked about how, how you're, doing <laughs> you're doing something new and we need that in our lives. We want to walk in that. And so, God, right now, I just pray for everybody in this room, God, that we would have an encounter with you, whether that's here at church or at home or, or in the car, God, at our small group, wherever it is, we need an encounter with you. We need life change to happen. God, today, maybe we've not been following you. Maybe we've not been serving you. Maybe we've found ourselves in this place of, of American Christianity that's just about showing up at church and checking off a box. And it's not about really living for you. It's not about you being Lord of our lives. We want to be a disciple. We want to be growing in relationship. We don't want to be stagnant. We don't want to stay the same. And so, God, I pray for each and every one of us today that we're looking for that growth. We're looking for that development. We're looking for that power that you talked about in your word. And so, God, I pray for us today that you would help us to grow and develop as Christians. Help us to be honest with our friends and our family. Help us, to, help us to receive wisdom and understanding and counsel and encouragement from those Christians around us that want to help us grow. Help us fall in love with you all over again. Maybe there's some of us today that we're scared and we're intimidated to, to be a witness. We're scared to tell people about Christ. We're scared to, to bring people to church or, or, or to show people the way or to even share our story. And I just pray right now that you would be bold and courageous. The Bible says that that he will give you boldness in the face of adversity. I pray that whenever you see the storm of fear, the storm of intimidation, that instead of running from it, you would run into it. And God would make you bold and give you purpose and destiny today. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all these things that we've prayed. We thank you, Father God, for what you're doing in our lives and in our church. And we just ask today that you would continue to grow us. And make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.